Hi, everyone. Welcome to How I Got Here. My name is Olivia Berkman. Thank you for joining me for this conversation with President and CEO of Judson Center, Lenora Hardy Foster. We're going to talk about the unique challenges of working in a nonprofit, the transition from CFO to CEO, and the importance of developing soft skills among many other things. Our next power skills session will be a deep dive into data analytics with Rachel Peralta of American Express. Going forward, these sessions are going to be available to FEI Engage subscribers on demand only. So you can look for those <clears throat> on the FEI Engage page. And now it's my pleasure to introduce Lenora. Thank you for joining us. Olivia, thank you so much for this opportunity. You're so welcome. I would love for you to tell us about your career journey since your college days. Start, start at the beginning. A absolutely. And, and I just have to share with you that my, my journey has been one of, of much, much interest over the years. And a matter of fact, I, I want to go back even a little bit before the college days, because I'm pretty sure that everyone can hear that I have that Southern accent. So I'm a Southern girl born and raised in Selma, Alabama. And so I, I lived there for many years until I graduated from high school and, and relocated to Detroit, Michigan, because I have family that lives here and I wanted to attend the University of Detroit Mercy. And, and so that's how I ended up in, in, in Michigan. And, and my, my career path with school and, and, and my whole journey was much different when I first started out compared to where I am today. You know, coming from a small town, Selma, Alabama, I had a dream of wanting to work for corporate America. So to come here and to go to school and, you know, not stop with my undergrad, but continue working hard to receive my, my graduate degree. And I wanted to work for corporate America. That's why I saw myself working for Ford headquarters. But when I came here and I started school, I was one of the ones that I came from a family. So, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of resources or a lot of money. And, you know, you're thinking about paying for education. So I, I did have a small scholarship and I was el eligible for some grants and I started school working on my undergrad, but I also started working. And I started working for a nonprofit organization, but still had my mind set on corporate America. And the, the organization that I worked for, Southwest Solutions, is a human service provider that specializes in providing services to children, adults, and families that are suffering with mental illness, juvenile justice programs, uh, infant mental health programs was all about community and working with people within a community to help improve the quality of their life. And as I started working for this organization and still in school, I kind of realized, you know, I, it, it would be great to work for corporate America, for Ford headquarters, but it was something about the work that this organization was doing that just continued to draw me in. Uh, I knew then that what my purpose in life was, and a lot of that came from, I, I grew up in a very religious family. And one thing about going to church, church is all about helping people. And that was already, that was instilled in me. So I figured out early on that nonprofit is where I wanted to be. And I made a decision to invest myself into that corporation of which I did. And I worked for Southwest Solutions for 
36 years. Now, I want everybody to understand, I was a little girl when I started, but I, I was truly into the mission and the purpose and all the core values that we had put in place to help improve the communities that we serve. I love to hear that because I think so many of the the people that we're talking to, student age and early career folks, it really matters to them to you know, believe in the mission of the company that they're they're working for and <clears throat> to be doing good in the world. And so I think that's going to that really will resonate with with the people who are listening. Um, and, and that was a big reason why I wanted to talk to you. We haven't had so I don't believe we've had somebody on who um, comes from the nonprofit world. So you're going to give a really interesting perspective. And <clears throat> I want to go back a little bit. You know, you talked about coming from a small town in Alabama and, you know, I'm wondering if you had role models in your life or people to help guide you. And I ask that because when I hear you say scholarships and grants and working through school, these are all things that are very, can be very difficult to navigate to line up a scholarship. You know, people always say like, oh, I got a scholarship. I mean, getting a scholarship, getting a grant, the paperwork involved, right? The initiative that you have to take. So these are not little things that you had to accomplish at a very young age. So what drove you and how did you execute on these things? Who did anyone help you along the way? Like, how did you figure all of this out and get to get to get to college, get to, you know, the level that that, of course, you're at now? So. So, yes, there there was um, there were two people in my life that truly inspired me. And one was my father. You know, my father always, as I was growing up, instilled in me, as well as my siblings, you can be anything in life that you want to be. It's how you apply yourself. And you don't give up. You continue to move forward. And so that that was in me that that these are things that I, I know if I apply myself, I can be successful. So he was he was very instrumental in and in, in walking me through everything that needed to be done, you know, applying for uh, uh, grants and, you know, with the scholarships. He was extremely involved. And then when I was in high school, when I was in the 10th grade, I was a part of a, of a, a work study program and was very fortunate to be hired by one of the federal government programs. Farmers Home Administration. So I would leave school at 12 o'clock and I would go to work. You know, here it was a a federal position and I I would work from one to five o'clock. And so that's when the first time I really got used to and became accustomed to what it's like when you're out there working and you're earning a paycheck and I'm like 15 years old. So that was a great opportunity for me. But the, the woman that I reported to she was so inspiring to me and she spent so much time helping me to understand things, helping me to really know that in, in life, whatever it is you want to do, you can do it. And she was truly a figure that was there to help and assist me and, and, and really talked about college all the time. You know, you don't want to stop. You want to continue to move forward. 
These are things that you can accomplish in life. And so all, all of that is, is still with me to this day that I know those two people really paved the way for me and had the confidence that I can do and be whatever it is I wanted to achieve in life. That's just so important to have those sponsors in our lives. And <clears throat> we owe a lot a lot to them, especially you're talking about being 15 years old. I mean, <laughs> I know you feel old when you're 15, but you're so young and to have somebody like that in your life. And of course your father as well. Um, it's, it's just huge. It, it makes a big difference. And of course you know that, but <clears throat> I also wanted to, to talk about, um, something that you and I talked about earlier you and I talked back in 2017, um, for a different, in a different format. And you, at that time, you said 2016, you had made the transition from CFO to CEO. Mm-hmm. So I want to know all about that experience and well, <clears throat> tell me about that transition. Tell me about the challenges. How did it come about? Like, what was the, what did you understand about the succession plan that was going on or, or if you knew about it at all, tell me about the ins and outs. So, you know, one, one of the things too, um, you can become very content with what you're doing and what you know you're good at, but you also can, you can aspire to become something even bigger than that. So if you if you have that desire and you see far beyond just being CFO or whatever position you may be in, the opportunity is there. So I I worked my way up within Southwest Solutions as I you know uh, was very successful receiving my undergrad and continuing with my graduate degree and received my my MBA all while I was working for this nonprofit, but I was growing within that organization. So when I when I was first hired there, I was hired as an accounts manager because I had that background of three years in high school working for the federal government. And we processed loans is what we did. So I had a chance to learn some accounting skills. So I was that's when I was first hired at Southwest Solutions, but I grew within that company. I didn't give up. I, I wanted even more. So from accounts manager, I became senior accountant. And from senior accountant, I became director of finance. And from that, I was promoted to vice president of finance and administration. So I'm excited. I'm learning as I'm moving forward. And then I became CFO and executive director of Southwest Solutions. So I was the second one in command of that organization, reporting directly to the president and CEO. So what was what was different in my role is that I was so involved and wanted to know everything about the business, you know, not just on the financial and administrative side, but on the program side. How do we operate? What is important? What, what type of staff are needed to provide these skills and services that requires credentialed employees in different areas? So I had this drive to learn more. You know, being a CFO, I mean, I was probably the number one fundraiser for the organization, building relationships and not afraid to ask people to help support our mission. And I knew that the only the only next place for me would be CEO of a nonprofit organization. So I had worked hard. I had achieved a lot. I was very pleased with where I was in life with my career. And and I was so I I was I was poached by someone else, another company. So at the same time, being a member of Financial Executives International, 
and I was an officer and I was very close to becoming the, the president of our chapter. So I knew all of the headhunters and they would call me and say, you know, if they're looking for a CFO that was in transition and I would tell them who's looking. But they called me one day and they said, we wanna talk with you about you. And I said, well, I've been at this company for 36 years. I'm gonna hang my hat up pretty soon and go home. And they said, no, this is about a CEO position. And that got my attention because anyone who knew me knew that I had that desire one day to lead a nonprofit organization to be that CEO. And that's how it got started. So I was I was interviewed by Judson Center. And uh, when I was interviewed, they already had two finalists. And I'm like, well, why do they want to interview me? So I was interviewed and in three weeks, I was offered the job and that was over six years ago. And so I, I, I have fulfilled that journey that I had in life of wanting to be successful and become the CEO of a nonprofit. And it, so when you're in that CEO position, you know, you got a, you got a lot of responsibility, you know, it, it, the bucks stop with you. So you're responsible for making a lot of decisions, driving that organization, looking at growth opportunities and how we can sustain ourselves. And, and that's, that's a difference when it comes to a nonprofit versus a for-profit. But when I look back on my career and I think about Ford headquarters, I really think that I could have made it being an employee of Ford headquarters. But one thing I do know for a fact, I would have never had the opportunity that I've had today. I've learned all about starting a business, building it from ground up. And at Ford, I would have, I would have been in a silo. I would have probably been in the purchasing department or you know, the accounting department. But here with the nonprofits, I have learned all aspects of business, business development. It's true of um, you know, working at FEI. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it's given me the opportunity because we're a smaller company. Um, it is sort of like all hands on deck and you, you get to <clears throat> learn all different kinds of roles and, and it's very valuable experience. Um, I wanted to ask you about your time at Southwest Solutions. You, you mentioned a couple of different advancements in your time there. I wonder, were you raising your hand? Were you asking for those um, promotions? Were you just being, your work was being recognized and then you were rewarded? Like, how did that, how were those work? How did those happen? Majority of those, my, my work was being recognized, you know, uh, and, and I was, I was just being promoted. So, you, so as the business was growing, you know, and the demand was far greater. We needed more, more management positions, more, more financial oversight positions were created and I was being promoted. So it was, it was, it That's was wonderful. A great, a great experience. But see, I, I learned all of, the, all of that through, and I would say this to all of the attendees and those that are out there and really working towards what their career path is going to be. It, whatever you want to be in life, you can achieve it. It's applying yourself. And that's something that I've always done. I've always worked hard to make sure that I do a good job. And, and that's instilled in me from my father because my father believed in you work from sun up to sundown. So that's still in me to this day. I work a lot of hours, not because I have to, it's just because I'm accustomed to doing that. And I want to make sure everything's done right. And 
You take pride in your work. Absolutely. <clears throat> how do you think, and, and I think this, this kind of answer, that kind of answers this question, but how do you think you, you stood out as a CEO candidate? I, I think that a lot of it had to do with with my my, my business skills, my financial, you know, uh, uh, knowledge, you know, and expertise had a lot to do with that as well. And then I understood the strategic operations of a nonprofit and what we need to do. Those were things that really stood out. For those who have their eyes on a CEO role in the future, why? what are the particular skills about a CFO, for instance, that makes them an ideal candidate, an ideal CEO candidate, do you think? Uh, number one would be that they clearly understand the financial position of a business. They, 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 they understand that uh, all of the financial tools that need to be in place, you know, from developing budgets, you know, for a nonprofit, which could be a little different than for profit. And then they, they, they understand, you know, how by different service lines or divisions, how the tracking of revenues and expenditures have to be done. And so you, a CFO can bring a lot of knowledge to the table as a CEO where someone who is being considered for CEO and maybe they're really strong on the program side, but they don't understand on the financial side, um, that can also bring risk in to the, to the company as well. You talked about fundraising as a CFO. <clears throat> what are some of the kind of unique things or or maybe challenges of working at a nonprofit? I mean, obviously you you wear you have to wear many hats, whether you're CFO or CEO. And and tell me what else. So, or if you CDO, Chief Development Officer. So, you know, you have those positions. I have all of those positions here. You know, when I think about my C-suite, you know, I've got vice presidents that's in charge of the areas where I need to have a CDO or CIO, a CFO, a COO. So I have that structure in place. But but what is, when I think about overall, what is so important when you're looking at that CEO versus CFO is it, it, it is making sure that you've got to understand for a nonprofit, we are not fortunate enough to have all of the resources coming in to cover all of our costs. So you know that going in. Most of the funding for a human service nonprofit organization is mostly driven from governmental grants. It could be billing third-party insurance or Medicaid or Medicare to reimburse for services that we receive. Or when I think about here at Judson Center, I have four core line of business. You know, one is foster care adoption and mentoring. Those are state contracts. And then there is autism that we build to be reimbursed, insurance companies or Medicaid. And then there's the whole integrated care that includes behavior health primary health care and substance use disorder. Same thing, those are fee-for-service. You're billing insurance to reimburse you. And then there's disability. So so we have five or six different lines of business. And, and with a nonprofit, especially if it's a grant, 
you never receive enough dollars to cover your costs. You have to fundraise. So I grew up early in my career understanding that for a nonprofit organization to be successful, you got to build a network of people. You've got to you got to build up a network of folks that you can go to, you can share your story, and they will want to get behind you because they can have that same passion to financially support you. So I learned that early on, and that's probably one of the reasons when it comes to sharing our story and meeting with foundations or meeting with individuals. Um, I have been successful to work with my development department to bring resources in, you know, to, to help support our programs. It, so, and we bring in annually probably about $4.2 million just in, in, in fundraising, either through event planning or 50% of that is really coming from getting people to support our mission. It's extremely important. That's amazing. And I know that the work, I know you're very passionate about the work that Judson Center does. So tell us, tell us more about what the company does and, um, you know, maybe why you're so passionate about it. It's easy to understand. So, so we first opened the doors in 1924. So we, we have been in business for over 98 years, and we're proud of that longevity. And it's not to say that there are not other nonprofits that are out there with longevity as what we have. There are some that's been in the business even longer. But um, we first started out as a orphanage for boys and girls. Really believe that, that every child, every boy and girl deserves to have a loving family. And we remain true to that to this day. One of our largest core divisions is foster care adoption and mentoring within the state of Michigan. And and then we have we have spread out into autism. You know, when you think about autism today, you go back 15, 20 years ago, we didn't quite understand exactly what it meant. And there are more children, one in 44, are being diagnosed with autism. And so we have five autism locations. We have offices that are spread over five counties here in Michigan. We have some grants that serve the entire state of Michigan. And so we didn't stop there with those two programs. We expanded into disabilities. So for every young adult or, or, or older adult that may have a disability, we work with them and provide training to help them accomplish a goal that they want in life like all of us. And that's to be an employee, to earn a paycheck and take it home to their family. And then we have the complete full integrated care model, you know, that provides behavioral health and uh, 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 primary health care services and substance use disorder. So, so we, and we serve over 12,000 children, adults and families annually. That's so incredible. I'm sure it's very rewarding. Yes, yes it is. And, and you know, when I, when I think about the passion that I have, and I have such strong passion for each day, when I see someone that we provide services to, that we're making a difference in their life, that would allow them to improve the quality of their life, to live within their home, to live within their community. It brings so much joy to my heart. So that's that's the reason I, I've dedicated my, my whole career has been with the nonprofit. I understand why. I, <clears throat> I think it's very challenging work that you're doing. Um, I mean, 
in, in, this is not quite the same, but I have a, a cousin who is a social worker and she's kind of moved up, up the ranks in in her, um, organization. And I know that the work that she does is so challenging, uh, and challenging is really not, doesn't even scratch the surface. It's really not even the, uh, 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 the right word, but I, I also know that it's incredibly rewarding and I, it has always stuck with me since you and I met, you know, those couple of years ago, uh, it's always been very inspiring to me to, to hear, you know, your passion and, and how, how much you, you get out of your, your role. Um, I mean, it's, you just, I guess you just, what I'm trying to say is you make a great argument for, for being in the nonprofit space. Thank you. I want to know how COVID affected uh, specifically the people that Judson Center serves. And and then also, if you want to share about, um, you know, how how it affected your employees. So, you know, I don't I don't think any of us was ready for COVID. You know, we heard about it in the other countries. I don't think we could even imagine that it was going to spread here to the United States. And it did. We were not ready. I'll never forget March 12th of 2020. When you think about the services that we provide, the majority of those are face-to-face. You know, in an autism program, we can't provide a virtual service to a child. It requires to to be face-to-face with that child if you want to make progress. And so we were not ready, but the thing about it, we could not afford to sit and wait for somebody to tell us what to do. So I I immediately, with my executive team, pulled everyone together and the directors and said, we got to come up with a plan. And number one, the people that we serve is our priority. And we cannot allow for them to be at home and not have anyone who's going to help take care of the needs that they have. So we immediately uh, started looking at all social platforms that we could reach out. We implemented telehealth. You know, so so that way we could provide telehealth services. We immediately, with our employees, everyone was very concerned about their health, the health of their family. So we allowed majority of our employees to work remotely. We gave them the tools that they needed. And a lot of the foundations and, and, and other individuals stepped up to the plate and provided us with grants so that we can buy the hardware and software that was needed to still accommodate the people that we serve. So we, we did not wait. I want to say probably within three weeks, I was proud of what had been accomplished by my team. Everything was in place and they continued to provide services. There were a couple programs that are very challenging that we could not serve and autism would have been one because it requires face-to-face. But what we did do is we provided virtual services to the parents of those children to help them, you know, know what to do with their child because we didn't want the child to fall behind. And so that program was completely closed for about three months. And as soon as we got the okay here in the state of Michigan, that we could at least with some type of modification, uh, 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 reconvene some face-to-face, that was one of the first programs that we opened back up. And the children were so happy to return. And so was their parents. You know, so, you know, with autism children, they have a lot of energy. So, so the break that they're with us and the, and the training and all of the clinical treatment that we provide really helps make a difference in the life of a child with autism. 
So we pivoted. We did everything that we could to make sure the people we serve, that they were still receiving the services that they des- that they needed. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> as a parent, you know, myself during that, during that time, uh, I found it incredibly challenging and you, you, you know, you, I'm sure you heard from tons of parents, how challenging it was and very sad for, for children who weren't able to go to school during that time. And then you imagine those with special needs and it's even more devastating. Absolutely. You know, and one one of the things that we know that we have experienced and and we're still experiencing looking at different things, statistics and what has happened. So children were really taken out of what they were accustomed to going to school and being around their friends and having some type of social activity because now they're in the home and and, and, and all of the school is now virtual. So we, we have experienced an increase in suicidal rates. That has happened. We have experienced an increase with uh, substance use disorder, even with children. So a lot of that, you know, uh, is, is outcome of everyone being closed up for almost two years, not being able to, to, to live a life we were accustomed to. And we got to go around with our mask. You know, that was a big adjustment. And then we became we became used to it. So I see someone with a mask on right now and it's all right. <laughs> so just think what our children had to deal with sitting in school. And and within my autism program, a child is not gonna keep a mask on. You know, out of we probably serve about three hundred and fifty children with autism, and we probably only have three that will wear their mask. So Of course. That's, mm-hmm. that's no surprise. Exactly. <clears throat> I wanna um uh, pivot a little bit and talk about, cause this was a big topic. The last time you and I spoke, uh, soft, soft skills. Now we're, we at FEI are now calling these power skills. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> tell me about the power skills required for you to advance your career. So for you personally, what were the, what were some of the kind of skills and, and, um, maybe even personality traits? I mean, we, we obviously, know that you're incredibly driven. Um, so what else do you think kind of pushed you along in, in your career? So, so the, the ability to develop relationships, you know, to, to, to know how to network, to know when is the right time to network, you know, um, what truly advanced me is really having that, that financial background really kind of opened the door for me. But then the other things that was really needed within my career was to make sure that I understood organizational development. These are the things that take you out of your comfort zone. I was very comfortable as CFO. So you give me a number and I can work a number. But I had to become comfortable if I wanted to advance with other parts of what's important to running a business. So that's organizational development. That's being a visionary leader, knowing how to think outside the box. You know, one of the things I would say as far as with the, with a nonprofit is we have to operate like a business. If we operate just like a nonprofit and we're just gonna manage this one program, you may do it well and if, if that's all you wanna do, that's okay. But if you want the opportunity to grow and to expand, you you must operate as, as a business and learn all of the things that are needed for that business to grow and to thrive. And a nonprofit can be just as successful as a for-profit when you are out there and you're expanding your mission. 
So those are things. And then the whole strategic planning is so important. It's important for any business, for-profit or non-profit, but especially for non-profits, to know exactly where we are today, where do we see ourselves in the next three to five years, and how we're going to get there. So those are things that truly help advance me in my career. That I, I don't even see that there would have been an opportunity for me as CEO if I had not accomplished those skills. Mm-hmm. Extremely important. And I want to know more about developing relationships. Do you think that that is <clears throat> an area that you're you are uh, confident in because of your personality, or is it something that you practiced? I, I think personality is a big part of it. You know, I, I think it starts with how I was raised. I was raised in an environment of, you know, how how you treat people and that you don't know until you ask. So that was in me. And and it's okay if somebody say no, but at least you ask. So so that that's in me. And when I think about developing relationships, I, that, that is a part of my personality. But I have to say, I became a member of FEI in 2007 or 2008, you know, so probably what, 15 years ago, I learned a lot about the ability to network and build relationships through being a member of FEI. I was already doing it, but I think it inspired me to do it even more by being a part of such a great organization. I love to hear you say that. And that was really a a big inspiration for creating FEI Engage because we want, we heard that. I mean, we hear it from, from FEI members all the time. And so we, I think a big part of it was we need something for the, you know, the aspiring leaders, the future leaders um, who might one day become FEI members. Um, And that's how FEI Engage was born. And that's why we focus on networking and mentors, connecting with a mentor. uh, Because, I mean, just listening to your story, um, both of those things stand out, you know, incredibly um, having mentors and, and your, your ability to network. And I think men, I think networking can be challenging for people. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I think it has to do with, with, uh, you know, your personality for some, it is easier than for others. And I think for those who, who it isn't as easy, um, I think, I think, unfortunately, uh, it, it does take some some practice, especially when you're for me, it, it took a bit of practice when I was kind of graduating and first getting out there and understanding how I wanted to present myself in a professional way versus a personal way. Uh, and that's something that <clears throat> I had to learn. I think that you touched on this a bit, but I want to dive in a little deeper to your leadership style. So I would love to know, like, what do you think it's like to work for you? <laughs> How do you think people view you as a leader? Um, I, I think overall pretty good. When I, when I think about what my style is, there, there are two that I would focus on. I, I am more of a servant leader, you know, so I, I believe in serving others. I believe in working to build staff morale. You know, when you can get staff behind you, you have much more 
chance, an opportunity to be successful. If, if staff are being a part of it, if they're being engaged. And that's what I like. I, I, I love staff engagement. I love to hear from staff, what do they think we should focus on? You know, what is some feedback that they can share with us? What can we do to be a better, you know, organization? So, so servant leadership is just, it's instilled in me. The, when, when, when I think about my practice as a leader, I am more transformational leader. I believe in seeing the bigger picture, what we can do. I, I believe in, I'm, I'm driven by my, my communication skills and abilities to be thorough and precise. You know, I, I believe in making commitments and following through with those commitments. I believe in working to develop, probably one of the greatest joys that I get is the ability to work with others for them to see themselves um, being something that they never thought they could achieve. It's instilled in all of us, we can do it. And you know, just to share one example, I'll never forget when I was hired here as the CEO and I had a young lady who was one of the clinical directors and she had applied to become the chief operating officer. And I'll never forget, she said to me, and the board has said, we know you're probably gonna wanna look for your, your key person to bring in. And I said, well, this young lady has applied. And they didn't believe she's ready for it. I said, well, no, give me a chance. I strongly believe in promoting from within. I, I believe in that. That's how we grow people. And I remember when I met with her and, and I said, I, you, you apply for the COO? And she said, yes. I said, well, let's talk about it. And I talked about, you know, her ability to uh, present to the board, you know, and her ability to do these things. And I'll never forget. She said, oh, I don't speak in front of people. And I said, oh, no, if you want to be the COO, you have to talk in front of people. Well, it's amazing to see her today. I cannot shut her up. She is one of my outstanding employees, speaks extremely well, has completely grown. She's groomed and, and, and I mean, she knows exactly how to deliver her message in a way that is truly acceptable and everybody can under, clearly understand. So I, I believe in that. To develop, use resources to invest in employees that are already with you because that's your future. I love that. And I'm sure she was just so happy to have that sort of reaction from you and that mentorship from you. Absolutely. And, and the board members are just, you know, they say it all the time. It's just amazing, you know, to see her today. I'm sure. And I, you and I talked about, <clears throat> you have a, a daughter and uh, I know she has now her own daughter, uh, mm -hmm. but Tell me about when you were earlier on in your career and you were kind of navigating, you had a child and, and how much did family kind of impact your career choices and, 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 and <clears throat> how did you think about, you know, family at that time and balancing? You know, my, my, my husband, my family was just so, so supportive and they would get behind me to do whatever. You know, if, if my child needed to be taken care of and if my husband was at work, I never had to worry about that. I always had a break during the summer because during the summer she was in Alabama at grandma's and that gave me a good two and a half month break. But um, she grew up going to work with me. 
I would pick her up. I worked a lot of long hours. You know, when you're when you're working hard and you got a goal and you can see where you want to be, you have to you got to work a little harder to get there. But I'll never forget. I would pick her up from Latchkey, and she would say, "Are we going back to your job?" And I would say, "Yes." And I would take her and I would put her in the boardroom and she could do her homework and, you know, we would work. But I would always reward her on the weekend and say, I tell you what, I'm going to take you shopping. And all I remember as she was growing up and even when she went to college, she said, I never want to work for a nonprofit because she saw how hard I worked. And I'm going to tell you, in life, you never say never because I'm so proud of her today when she graduated and, and even received her graduate degree and, and uh, uh, her, her, her uh, degree is in human resources. And she, ha- she has worked for some of the big companies. You know, young, young people don't mind. They step out. I'm a baby boomer. I think you get a job, you work forever. Well, my daughter's not like that. If there's enough opportunity, I mean, she's going to go after it. And she first started out working for GE. And from GE, she went to Starbucks working for their headquarters, you know, in HR. And now today, that's why I tell you, never say never. She works for the nonprofit radio. And I get the biggest joy out of laughing at that. She's working for a nonprofit company. It's so funny too. She, she kind of followed your, what you thought was going to be your path, which was corporate America. Right. And then (laughs) ended up where you are. It's so funny. Absolutely. I love that. So we laugh about that all the time, but I'm so, I'm so proud of her and, and, and what she's doing and what she's accomplished. Well, I love what you said too, that, you know, she would, she would come and do her homework in the boardroom and then the weekend, um, you would take her shopping. And I, and I love that because it's, it's, it's showing her whether you meant it this way or not, Mm -hmm. it's showing her, well, this is why I work is so that we have the ability to go and shop and have fun like this on the weekend. And this is how, you know, this is why I part, part of the reason, um, you know, that, that I'm working so hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. Obviously it stuck with her too. As she's flowing in your, yeah. In your, in your shoes. Um, You've shared a lot of advice, but I would love to hear um, the advice that you have for early career folks and students who are listening. Like, what what do you tend to tell the people that you mentor and what is your advice? And I I have, matter of fact, even right now, I currently mentor five young ladies. And, And I get joy out of doing that because a lot of times it's really... It's really helping people to to see things in life that they can achieve and what they need to do to go about it. And and I would say to to any of the young people, the attendees, or or even older people, it's never too late. Um, always decide on what you want your career path to be, and no matter what it is, always know that you can achieve it. Work out and develop your own career path your plan to finish and get your degree. I strongly encourage everyone to do that, but also start thinking about what do you want to do in life and where do you want to be? And those are things that you can, you can achieve. And always know that there are people out there that will be willing to talk with you and give advice on what else is needed to help you achieve your goal. People are willing to do that. And so I would, I would just, I would encourage You know, everyone that may be listening, you know, the sky is the limit. So you can go and and, and seek anything that you want to be in life and it can happen. 
So the, the women that you mentor, because I'm very interested in how mentorship relationships happen. So for those, I think you said five young women. Yeah, five. And how did those relationships begin? Were you, did you kind of identify them as high potential people or did they seek you out? And if they sought you out, how did they do that? How did, how do you, how do you get the, your mentor to be your CEO, you know? So, so most of them have been through the university of Detroit mercy. I, I serve on the business school board and, and, and matter of fact, when you, when you think about in life, things that you are proud of, probably one of the greatest achievements that I have received in my life has to do with the university that I received in my undergrad and my graduate degree. A few years ago, I received a lifetime achievement award. That's probably one of the greatest achievements in my life. You know, to be recognized, you know, uh, 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 by your university or receiving that. But it also said to me, when you get lifetime achievement, is it saying that you're getting close to the end? So <laughs> I was happy, but it really made me think about it. So a lot of times I am contacted by the career development, you know, department. And I am I am asked that they have, you know, students in mind and they would love if I could mentor. So that's where most of them have come from. Others have been pretty much through organizations that I serve on the board and and they have matched me with a mentor, you know, to to work with someone that may be, they, they, they could be a program manager, they could be a director, but they have a desire that they wanna to continue to grow in their career and just need to know what else that they should be pursuing to accomplish that goal. And what is the frequency, I'm sure it varies, um, that you connect with these young women? You, most of them are usually monthly, 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 monthly meetings. And it could be anywhere from one to two hours a month. Mm-hmm. And then that's a big on, time commitment for you. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. But um, but it's so important. It's very important. And then some depends on how far in the progress that we've made. We could get downwards once every two months, once every three months. But to, to see the progress and to see someone develop is so rewarding to me. And to see, especially where some of the young ladies, there's one young lady from the university that I mentored about four years ago, and now she's on the city council within Detroit. So it's, you know, you just to know that you've helped someone and, and, and she always had, even though she's a financial person, she had a desire that wanted to be a part of the political arena. Mm-hmm. Wow. And tell me about your experience with, you know, serving on boards. How did that happen? Um, it, it really happened even Probably my my first board engagement was as working with Southwest Solutions. And as I was being promoted, when you get to a certain level, then you are involved with the board of trustees, right? So I started learning more about how boards operate because I had to be the staff person there making sure the board reports and all those things was ready for, for presentation. And then it got to the point that I was being seeked out to serve on other boards. And, 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 and currently, to this day, I serve on I serve on many boards. I do. I, I serve on two association boards here in Michigan, the Michigan Federation for Children and Families that, that, that focus on foster care and adoption. And matter of fact, I'm the vice chair. I'll become the chair in less than a year. I serve on a disabilities association. I'm currently the chair of that board. I serve on the University of Detroit Mercy Board. 
You know, I serve on the Hannon Center, which is a nonprofit that serves elderly people. And I'm the treasurer of that board. I, I, I serve on I serve on a lot of boards. There are not enough hours in the day for all yes. of this. <laughs> there are not. I even say to myself sometimes, how can I do all of that? And then at my church, and I have I have strong faith and I, I know that I'm I know why I'm where I am today. I clearly understand that. But I also serve as the, the treasurer um, and the chair of the finance committee of my church. Wow. So I, I'm because I, I've come to know you, um, I would assume that you only say yes to these opportunities if they fit with your kind of life mission. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. And is that advice that you would give to others who are who are maybe being approached to join boards or. Or, or want to join the board? Yeah, usually yeah. Is, is, especially the gratification that I receive is when, the, when it's something that I have passion for. So that passion is there and I wanna serve. So, so that would be a difference. So if I think about Ford headquarters today, how would I be as, a, as sitting on the board of Ford headquarters? I'd be lost. My passion is serving people. I know we need cars and everybody needs to have a vehicle, but the passion and desire I have is to help people improve the quality of their life. So when it's something that's connected to that, I'm willing to serve. And there are certainly people that, you know, are are members of, of that organization who feel very passionately about, you know, making cars. But Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's was what that- I thought I was going to be, you know. Yeah. Forty-two years ago, so I know I'm telling my age, and I just tell people I was very young when I started, but I've mm-hmm. been around for a while. Mm-hmm. I wonder um, if we, if you wouldn't mind just going back to your time at Southwest Solutions. How many years were you there? Thirty-six. And looking back on that, because I, I just thought of this when we were talking about your daughter who has made a couple of different career moves, which is pretty typical of of my generation and and. I think we're in the, she and I are in the same generation, but, um, do you look back on that, that those 36 years and, and think that that was the right decision for you to stay somewhere for such a long period of time? Cause now that's, that's almost unheard of. And, um, or do you think that, yeah, I'm just curious, curious what you think when you look back on that time. So if, if, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't change anything about it. So I, I am very pleased with the decision that I made in life and for that longevity with that organization because it truly prepared me to be where I am today. And it, it, it proved that I understood what the, my purpose in life was. And you're right, it's, it's different now. You know, I, I look at my daughter and I would say, even when she was with GE and she talked about leaving, you don't do that, you stay. And she's like, no, look at this opportunity. And I couldn't understand it, you know, but but I do. It's, it's different now. I'm a baby boomer. Baby, probably a lot of baby boomers, you got a job, you just work and you'll be there for a long time. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it also makes sense because at that at that company, you were, you know, moving up the ranks. So 
that helps. <laughs> right. Now, I don't think you would have been there for 36 years in the same role. <laughs> Absolutely not. I would right. not have. Right. But here I was provided with so much opportunity. And the thing about it, I was learning how to develop a business. And I mean, we implemented we were a nonprofit, the parent company, but we had multiple nonprofits and for-profits that was that was owned by this nonprofit. I learned so much, you know, how to create a company, whether it's a nonprofit or for-profit, how to build it from bottom to top. I never would have learned that in with other jobs, especially even at Ford. I probably would not have been in that department unless when I was an attorney, right? I learned all kinds of things about right. You know the attorney work and things like that. So I'm 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 very pleased. It allowed me to learn so much about. It the sounds very, it sounds very entrepreneurial. You know your experience. Yes, it, it has been, and and that's how even with nonprofits, if you want to step outside the box and do other things that's going to help you to expand where you are, you have to think like that, and you have to be willing to take risk. So there's a risk that goes along with decisions that you make. Absolutely. Well, Lenora, that was the last question that I had for you. Thank you so much for your time. So inspiring, just as I knew it would be. And I really appreciate you joining me today. Thank you so much. It was really nice to see you again. The same here. 